0: Tyler D, thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited to chat with you. All right, Tyler, your backgrounds, let's see here. We got NFT lead at Lucky Trader. You're a daily content creator and thought this was funny. You're, you're a former high volume NFT trader. So, you know, take us very back. When did you first get involved with NFTs and, and why?
1: My wife and I kinda of made the decision to invest in crypto back in like December twenty twenty. So I had picked up some a small amount back in twenty seventeen, that's like when everyone was talking about it. Uh, I bought ETH for the first time. I think it was a thousand. Four days later it was fourteen hundred dollars. I thought I was a total genius. I thought these these things were just going up only. That was the Pico Top four days after I bought, and then like it, it crashed all the way down. I totally forgot about it. Very active on Twitter. I've been active on Twitter for like a dozen years and I started seeing more and more thought leaders kind of talking about crypto in 2020. So we, we kind of got back into it, uh, built a, a little portfolio, primarily Bitcoin and ETH. And then in like January 2021, a, a few things were happening. I was following some folks who were starting to talk about like digital art, generative art a, a little bit. Um, and then NBA Top Shot was happening. And I don't remember exactly what happened first, but the, the first Ethereum NFT I ever bought was Euler Beats. And I wanna say that was like February uh, of 2021. And then I was dabbling in NBA Top Shot as well at that time. Um, so not exactly sure you know which came first, but that's around the time period I got in. I ended up taking baths on both of those, so I, I missed the the hype wave on Top Shot. I bought in like probably like literally like a week or two before the, the top of, of that market, and then Order Beats it was kind of a similar story. But like, what was the the nice outcome from that is I got exposure to folks like D's DC Investor. Even Beanie, like Beanie was kind of a positive influence for a period there in 2021. And you know he was talking about which NFTs they like. So I got exposure to those guys. I just kind of started following and, and seeing like what they were doing. And that led me into the art blocks market. So in, in April 2021, when I kind of dove in, I started minting every art blocks, starting with the Synapse project. I, I minted Fidenzas. I actually minted a, a Spiral Fidenza. I flipped it within five minutes for 0.88 ETH, which is uh, probably my single biggest mistake in, in the NFT space. Like a, a similar one sold for a million dollars last year. So that was a little bit of, of a gut punch, but I, I started to build up the Art Blocks bag. I was able to kind of ride that through to the, that summer 2021 bull market um, had some success kind of trading flipping art blocks there at that time and that was enough for me to to leave my my corporate job so i actually left that my career in consulting so financial services consulting mostly for banks fintech companies in august of 2021 um, and then went into nfts full-time started doing some some content on my own i started my own show the monday after i had left my job i, I started uh my own show called nfts live it was a youtube show did a couple a couple times a week, uh, and then was just trading full time, and uh, I, I kind of did that for the better part of a year. I started seeing that the market downturn in twenty twenty two, and realized, hey, you know, you know, maybe it would make sense to to start working in this industry where I, or I spend all my time. Uh, An opportunity at Lucky Trader opened up, and then I started working w- with these guys. So that's kind of the, the the quick story there of kind of how I got in. Uh, and and the, the quicker path, the lucky trader, but I'm happy to dive into to any of that in more detail.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So what was your initial attraction to the NFT ecosystem? Like, was it, hey, I can make a lot of money here and th- this is really fun and social and kind of like this like fun trading environment? Or you said like Top Shot, like were you big into sports? Like, like what was the, but you said your first one was Euler Beats, which is not, no, that's not sports at all. So it's so, like, what, like, what was the initial attraction? Two things clicked for me. So
1: one... Like the New York Times had just run like this big story about how like rich investors were buying art and just keeping it and storing it in these air, these airport hangars. And they, were, they were never seeing it, they were never touching it. It was, it was literally investments and for tax write-offs. And as I understood that, and then I started seeing like the digital art as like a concept, as a market play out, it just made sense to me that that is a better forum. Like, like you know, clearly physical doesn't matter. People are, are literally investing in these things Purely, you know, for the, the asset class and there, there's less barriers to entry for a digital version of that. So like, that was an easy sell for me. And then similarly in the sports card market. So like, I think it was tw- late 2020, like the Honus Wagner cards set like all the all time records for, for highest you know, sports collectible. I had a few friends who, who had gotten kind of deep in the physical cards uh, market. And, you know, they were traveling to shows, uh, you know, they had to store their cards and keep them in, in such good condition. They had to go get graded, all, all that, all those things you have to do. And then Topshot came out and it removed, again, all those barriers. Right? You don't have to worry about storing them. You don't have to travel to trade shows to, to try to find buyers. You can operate in a 24-7 marketplace. So I think so that made sense to me as well as two very logical markets. Um, And then of course, I mean, it's fun when you log in and the numbers going up every day, which is kind of what the top shop market was like there for a period. Uh, So that was enough to, to get me hooked. Uh, And then I realized, Hey, maybe I should stick around and see, see what else is going on here.
0: That's awesome. So, okay. So you left your job, you said you started a show like a week after, or like you you said like the Thursday after or something, I forget, but it was right after what what was the thought process?
1: Yeah. uh, So The the early group of folks who I was kind of talking about NFTs with trading folks were actually all daily fantasy sports guys from a different, some were golf, some football, basketball, but but they're all pretty heavily concentrated in that space. And I think, you know, a a large cohort of folks who were early to NFTs were from that space because like the the Peter Jennings, Jonathan Bales, you know, NBA Top Shot article onboarded like Thousands of people. Uh, we were actually talking about that on my show this morning. But through them, I, I got connected to Pat Mayo, and I don't know folks who know who Pat Mayo is, but he, he's a, he's pretty big in like the the fantasy sports kind of sports betting space. He has got a very well produced show. He hooked me up with the producer, and you know, we just started filming like two days a week. I think we did Mondays and Thursdays, and I had some of uh, my. my my colleagues who were in this DFS space joined as co-hosts. So they kind of knew the ropes, you know, doing live shows and live streams. And I, I mean, it was, I I was nervous, right? Like I had never done that before, but you know, it it was fun. And like, I'm, I'm a, preparation guy. So like I prepare, I have my notes ready. And I think that is something that allowed me to have some success. I mean, the show lasted uh, six or seven months. I mean, we, we never got like crazy big or anything, but we had like the 200 to 300 views, you know, type range. So th- there was a, a small niche audience who cared about it, who joined. And then, you know, again, as, as the market started going down a little bit in 2022, some folks lost lost interest and whatnot. But, you know, that, that's kind of how I got into it. It was just uh, an NFT market show, you know, talking like the top of the market with, with CryptoPunks, talking art, talking any of the big news events of the week. And it's not really kind of uh, too far off or, from, from where my current show is and say that my current show is kind of end product of, of that early stage uh, market show.
0: And was the thought process like, okay, I'm going to do this show so I can build my brand or was the thought process, um, I'm going to be able to hang out with my friends and shoot the shit. Like what, what was that? What was the purpose?
1: Fun. I probably didn't have a, enough, a purpose behind it. You know, I, I was just leaving behind this corporate career and I just wanted to do something like totally different. And I, I wasn't worried about, uh, you know, trying to land sponsors, about trying to build my, my brand. I think I had like 500 followers on Twitter, maybe a thousand. Like I was still pretty small. Not that I have like a super large account now, but, you know, still pretty small. And it was just to to, to have fun, and then kind of force me to to dive in deeper to the market. Because I think one thing anyone who does frequent content knows, you have to stay on top of things. Like it forces you to stay in tune with the market. And I think like making that commitment was kind of a, a pact for me to say like, okay, well now if you're going to dive in, like you're going to be forced to because you're going to be talking about this, at, you know, at least. Twice a week, so I think that was probably my, my purpose, kind of coming like full circle. Uh, it was an effort to you know force me to dive in and, and understand the trends, and uh, and the breaking products, and uh, you know developments in the sector.
0: So from that show, did the Lucky Trader guys find you, or did you find did you know of them, or how how did you get get connected to Lucky Trader?
1: I was purposeful here, so I, I wanted to start talking to these guys. So I knew Logan Hitchcock was the editor the editor in chief over at Lucky Trader so i invited him to be a guest on my show and I interviewed him, and then I was kind of hoping we would do like the quid pro quo, like him come on, then invite me on to their show, which which they did. Uh, and this is actually when when Danny Miranda was still uh, over at Lucky Trader, so he was the the host of that show, and, and Logan was on, and we we had a really good chat. I, I think they they liked our conversation. And then I started doing some freelance writing for them, kind of like fairly close after that. So I wasn't an employee, uh, but I had been doing like some blog writing on my own. I think the other along with Chris that the NFTs live show, I also started writing. That was another thing I kind of wanted to do after leaving my uh, corporate career. And I, I started kind of writing about broad topics and then kind of dialed into the NFT market as that's where I was spending my time. Started doing like some quarterly market analyses. Logan liked those, then invited me to start writing. So then I started writing for them, uh, probably like midway, mid 2022. And then that was kind of the the bridge into me. Finally starting to work there full time in like September, 2022.
0: Could you explain, like, to people what is Lucky Trader?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it, it's been an evolving product. I think over the last few years, but you know, as core, you know, Lucky Trader, most trusted source for news in the NFT in, in Web three space. So, you know, we'll dabble a little bit into crypto, um, but it, it's mostly kind of core focused on on the NFT market, and we've got let's say three primary channels where. We will, you know, source media. So we have our website, LuckyTrader.com, which is kind of like your your you know, normal or media site that you would expect articles, guides, some analytics, some historical floor price information for collections, things like that. We've got a morning newsletter called the Morning Minute uh, that hits everyone's inbox 7:30 a.m. Central Time, um, and then a daily Twitter Spaces show uh, that we do at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, so you know, three different channels. Uh, For people, you know, three different styles uh, of digesting their media, and then of course we we, we've got a a Twitter page where we break and share news as well. And I think one of our differentiators is you know we are very much into like making sure that that stories that we share have trusted sources, and that at times has led us to to be slow to breaking news. It's it's led us to to not break news at all. So like if you remember that the Amazon NFT marketplace story that was going around, we never broke that. We never talked about it because we never actually found a source for that, that was viable or trusted. And you know, that story came out what, like in April or something. And now we're in uh, late October there's still no Amazon NFT marketplace. So I I think we, uh, we made the right call there, but I think that's just like one example uh, of what it means. And I think, you know, we're seeing it more broadly, on x or, or twitter whatever you want to call it right now is with fake fake news or the stories being surfaced that are seem like they could be correct but just but aren't and then like the impact they're having around the world i think more more like in, in some of the middle east actions but like there's clearly some importance there and i think it is something we, we take pride in
0: yeah and especially with a with a you know a lot of the folks in the nft market are, are focused on trading and or, you know making money uh having correct information is like that's like Everything uh, that that, that like, it is the, probably the most important thing.
1: Yeah, it, it is, and I mean, there was definitely a point, and I think we're starting to maybe get back there, where one of the one of the primary edges was on trading news. So, like, I don't know if you remember when it was the news came out that Nike had acquired Artifact, but that day, Clone X doubled from three e to six ETH. Mm. So, if you were early. On that news, you got to land a, a massive trade, and I think that that's something else that you know we, we did kind of take pride in, and it was something I was also doing because while I was producing content kind of this whole time, I was also, uh, you know, trading. So I also cared uh, about the news and its impact on the on the market, and I think that also kind of enabled us to have like a little bit of a differentiator from some other sources, as we had some folks who were really in the weeds and you know trading in the collections kind of knowing the ins and outs in the group chats uh, versus perhaps some others who are kind of just covering the covering the space a little bit further further away
0: so you have the newsletter morning minute. So, so did did you start that? And how, like, what was the thought process around launching that?
1: So, I think Logan actually gets the credit for this. Um, you know, I was running a weekly, like Mondays, like market outlook. Like, here's what's happening in the market. Here's what's happening this week that you need to to pay attention to. He was like, "This is great," but what if we ran it daily? And you know, still at, at that point in time, in September 20, I know we started in October 2022. There was still enough market action to warrant that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, well, let's give it a shot. And, you know, it was a, a huge commitment. So basically for the last, I've been doing it now, over 12 months, basically like wake up 5.30, you know, 5, 5.30 a.m. every day, kind of check the, see what happened overnight, write up the, the, the market report, anything I may have news. I, I typically have gotten a start on it the, the day before, uh, but I've got two toddlers at home. So I, I, I try to spend my time with them. In the, in the evenings, uh, so I opt for early mornings. So, I mean, every day, 5.30, pumping this thing out, try to hit publish wow. by uh, 7.30 Central or so. But, I mean, it, it's been a grind, but I, I have genuinely genuinely enjoyed it. It has, for anyone who, who's followed it, I think they'll see like that the product has changed quite a bit from what was just like a very brief market report to more of an editorial kind of covering like one or two, major stories, you know, per newsletter, and then kind of getting into, into the market action. So it's been a little bit more about talking about what is happening more broadly in the space, what, what types of products are, are coming out. I've been forced to dive into crypto. As well, a little bit more deeply than I think I anticipated, just because there were pockets of time in the NFT market for anyone who who was here and following me every day, where there, there just wasn't enough to write about. So I, I had to, you know, explore that. And then when SocialFi came on the scene, that's been like my, my latest market sector that I've kind of dove into. That was another one that spun up when there was like genuinely not that much happening on a day-to-day basis in the NFT market. So it made sense to cover SocialFi. So that's been one of the benefits of doing it every day is it just forced me to stay in tune with everything, find things to, to write about, which is like, is giving me more personal exposure as, as well. So
0: how are you finding all that information? Cause like, I feel like everyone since the dawn of time has been like, where's the, people always ask like, where, where's a spot that you go to find, you know, NFT news or even crypto news, whatever. And there isn't necessarily one spot. I think obviously lucky trader like does the, the best job in, in my opinion, but like, where do you get that information? Cause you gotta be following 50 million different accounts and try to aggregate all that news together, all, all that information.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a, a bit of our, our secret sauce is like this Discord setup we have internally at Lucky Trader. So originally it was tied into like, you know, the top 50, top 100 NFT project Discords and sourcing all the alerts, all the announcements from there. And then we we opened it up more broadly and started covering, you know, and started linking in like major crypto news breaking accounts you know opening up to, to 10 to 15 you know thought leaders who are who are commenting on more topical items consistently those who might be breaking news along with some other news sources just to make sure we're not missing anything so it, it's a it's a pretty comprehensive discord setup I mean there, there's days where you might get a hundred hundred pings per hour so it's a lot of like sorting through like what is meaningful and what's not and then so like that's like the the major part, and then just kind of just trying to stay in tune with the conversation on X. I, I still think I, I get the, the majority of news from there, at least news that people care about and want to talk about more uh, from kind of what is in the conversation on a daily basis over on that app. And certainly it's been much more difficult the last few weeks with and with, in, in months, you know, ever since Elon's come in and changed the algo. And now, you know, it feels like it's different on a, on a weekly or daily basis. Uh, so that's made things like the, the discord uh, a little bit more important, but also like having a group effort. So, I mean, we, we've got like Logan, at lucky trader. He's also, he's grinding the news all day. He, he's scanning like the the PR wires uh, for breaking news that hasn't even really hit Twitter yet, which is another you know, area that we're, we're sourcing from. Uh, so, so that helps. And it's definitely a, a group effort.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So it's really about setting up the design, designing the system uh, for to, you know, to get, to get that reliable information and then sourcing and and like sorting from that really. It's like, it's like basically a big funnel and you're just distilling, distilling, distilling it down into like, it's, Hey, this is the pure information.
1: Yeah. I think that's a a great summary of it. And I think having a system like that is really the only way to do something consistently for a long period of time. It just, it would be, it would be too difficult you know to try to source and, and write on your own every day without having a system in place and i think we've had we've definitely had our, our chance to kind of refine that system and you know maybe we'll get into this later on and now ai is absolutely a, a part uh, of our system uh, over at lucky trader so that's something that we we've certainly embraced and has already had a, a huge impact on our company in just the last six months.
0: Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely going to dig deeper into AI soon. But before moving to that, I want to ask you about your, your show, uh, Lucky Lead. Lucky, Lucky Lead is the, is the podcast or is it just a Twitter Spaces? Or is it both? Or do you like record it and publish it as a podcast?
1: It's both. So it's a Twitter Spaces. We record it and then we publish it out to, to Spotify and, and to our pod network. The morning is tough. Like I don't know if folks are out there listening to the the NFT morning shows, uh, but there's several, and then there's PO and the guys with the nifty show that runs at at 9 a.m. Eastern, and then Furrow Commando and OSF had their 10:30 uh, a.m. Eastern show with with Rug Radio. So we were trying to find a a spot to to fit in there. You know, before we launched daily, we were we were doing a twice weekly YouTube show. We weren't getting enough traction. We saw that like social audio was the thing. This, is, this was like November, December, 2021, 2022. And then we decided to launch a spaces. And again, we went with weekly and pretty quickly realized that it's, it's hard to build a community. It's hard to build an audience with a, a weekly publishing schedule, at least in the social audio space, to, to reach the, the size that we wanted to get to. And it was kind of hitting me that, like, so I'm writing this newsletter every morning. It's effectively a script or at least an outline for something to talk about on a daily show. So we had the content. Uh, so that the show should be easy. So then in January, we, we made the switch to, to running it daily. We started out just doing it 30 minutes each day. One quick story. Rundown of the news, kind of riff on the biggest, you know, headlines from the day, ended at the 30-minute mark. It was kind of meant to be a quick-hitting way for you to get the, the news you need in the shortest amount of time possible, which was kind of our differentiator at the time because a lot of the other shows are more conversational, more guests, you know, more people coming up on stage. I think we had a bit of success with that, but I think the 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 lesson I've learned from social audio probably the most over this year is that people want to be a part of the conversation. So in the last few months, we've kind of opened it up, let uh, audience members, more frequent guests kind of come into like, not co-host roles, but more, more formal recurring guest roles on the show. And, and that's done wonders for the, for the audience and community. And it's improved the quality of the show as well. It's just given us a chance to have, more perspectives, more insight, just kind of more broad crowdsourcing, which is just another kind of important aspect of this. So it's been fun to to see that evolve. It's probably like my my favorite part of my job. Like The the newsletter, I still enjoy it, but the show is fun. I enjoy talking. I, I talk too much. As it is, which you you may be realizing here during during the, the, this podcast,
0: it's great. It's a it's whole purpose.
1: But yeah, but it, it's been fun. I, I still enjoy it. I'm nowhere close to to getting burnt out on it, which I, which I think is good. And it's something that a lot of folks you know risk doing something on a daily basis here in this space. But luckily, I think we, we found some some product market fit. We've got a decent recurring audience now. Uh, so now it's just kind of us finding ways to to keep making the show better.
0: So I, I think you kind of answered this question, but if you had to, you know, restart from building an audience from scratch, what would be that? What would be the content you would create? Like, what what is what is the optimal content to to create for building an building an audience?
1: I certainly, think a, a good portion of the audience still wants the the, the trading alpha and uh, the core news that matters. Uh, which, you know, I think we, we leaned into, but I think that the piece we probably missed early was just not not pulling from the audience enough, not not creating enough interaction with, with the community early on. Uh, and I think that could have helped us perhaps grow a little bit faster. Uh, so that's perhaps one thing uh, I would change, um, but not, I don't know, not not a whole lot, not a whole lot else immediately comes to mind. I think we did some things right.
0: So so if you were starting from scratch with I don't know either the same thing or new topic it would be you'd continue to do newsletter and a social you know audio kind of show There's like the that's like the one two punch
1: that's been the system that's worked for me and I, I also write the the outline and kind of run the the show so having the the newsletter done in advance has, has certainly made my job a lot easier. I, I think my advice to anyone who's running running a daylight show like this. I mean, I, I can't riff for 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 sixty minutes without some some preparation. So, certainly, some people can, but but that's not me. So, kind of having the system in place to to build the the framework doc every day and sharing it with the, the speakers and hosts. They also know what they're going to be talking about, so that they can have you know start to prepare their thoughts as well to have a thoughtful show it's absolutely something I would do building it again from scratch. And I think that is something I would do across any market sector, uh, just kind of building in the, the preparation there. And I think there's, you know, having spent some time in the, in the newsletter space, which also translates to the show space, I think there's, just, there's like a, a handful of like core frameworks, outlines that, that seem to work. And, you know, once you've got the that, that system, it's kind of just a matter of plugging in content. And I think it's getting easier and easier to, to do that if you know how to find the, find the content. I think that kind of circles back to your question from earlier. But if you've got the system in place to find it, like let's say you want to start an AI podcast. If you've got the system in place to, to source the news and you've got a, a, a framework or an outline structure in place for how you want to, to turn that content into bite-sized chunks for someone to consume then you can you can build out a newsletter and then once you've got the content for the newsletter turning it into a show is just having your own talking points on top of, of the news and someone to discuss it with so they're all very related I think that's something I've found kind of from going through this process
0: yeah so how do you think about content creation what are your, uh, you weren't in content creation before your previous role and so now you know how do you view Creating content for the internet in general?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I like to consume content, and certainly it it has changed greatly over time. I don't know if you were ever plugged into like Bill Simmons and his work over at Grantland, but he is always uh, probably one of the bigger influences on me. So, uh, you know, back in like the 2010 range, you know, I, I was reading. Grantland, his website, you know, front to back every day. I was consuming most of his podcasts. Um, so like, as I've thought, you know, about how we built out Lucky Trader, that's always been something in the back of my mind is like, how, how would this be like, you know, Grantland? Like, how did I used to like to consume content like this? But the reality is now I feel like everyone's attention span is so much shorter than it used to be. So we've spent a lot of time over the last year, two years, totally fine tuning. I think totally like revamping our writing style to just to be like straight to the point. Like here is the, here's a 30 second view of the information you need from this. And then here, if you, here's the, the four minute view, if you want to dive deeper. So, you know, thinking about how to create content for this you know, super low attention span, market that we're in, but to to still get messages across to to readers and also kind of sharing some of my own personal thoughts as well. So I I went from more of a kind of an objective, here's the news, to more of a, here's the news with my personal spin on on why this matters. And I think that's something else that I've gotten help from like Jason Bales, our CEO on, is kind of turning things into the bite-sized chunks for someone to consume in 15 seconds, but then hitting them with the why this matters which is that was something that was not really in my kind of content playbook when i first started out but uh, i think it is really important uh, and if you can nail a why it matters i think it really helps you know, send a point home uh, to to a reader so i think that that's a, a bit of a way of how i've kind of changed thinking about uh, my content creation
0: process do you think that creating content has opened doors for you or kind of like yeah how do you, how do you see it as like a force for your Work life.
1: It, it absolutely has. I think professionally and personally. Um, so I, I've been uh, approached for, by, you know, a few different protocols at this point, you know, to, to play a, a part in those companies I've actually accepted. I am an ambassador for NFT FI uh, that, that lending protocol, which is probably one of my more formal roles. You know, I, I don't think I land that, you know, position without some of the, the deep background in content creation and just the, the market awareness it requires to deliver that. Um, so that's one door that it has absolutely opened up for me. I think uh, th- this content creation world is, is, is pretty small. So going to some of the, the IRL events, uh, specifically last year, like I was able to build some some connections with uh, folks like Faroq, Mando, some collectors like uh, Anonymous. And I think having the, the content background kind of helps me have a foot in the door of kind of why, you know, why I was there, why am I sitting at the table with all of them, uh, which has helped. And then most recently with Thread Guy, who, I mean, he, he's just a force in, in the content industry. Uh, and we kind of met through Social You know, on a personal level, running a daily talk show for 10 months has made it much easier for me just speak. So like I actually threw a, a birthday party for my wife her 40th birthday party here in early October and I was able to rattle off, you know, a nice 10-minute speech about her, which is something that I would have had to practice for like weeks in, in my prior life, but you know, having the, this background, uh, you know, knowing how to prepare a speech with with listening points that, that folks are going to like. Uh, I translated to my personal life, so hopefully, uh, you know, she got a kick out of that. She hasn't left me, uh, which, which is a plus.
0: It's good. It's good.
1: <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that's a couple of ways it started to kind of impact uh, my life in a few different ways.
0: That's super cool. Okay, so what what are what are the keys to being a good content creator? And I think one of them that I just want to point out, it just seems like work ethic. Like it, it sounds like you just grind. Like, you know, that, that's definitely what, what it seems like one, one of the most important things.
1: Yeah, I think consistency, which is tied into the work ethic, is, is very important. I think it, it's very hard to, you know, work hard for a month and then go away for a month and then come back and, and expect to, to be able to make a splash and have the reach. And especially with I mean, we are all kind of boxed into this X algorithm world and, and it rewards People who show up every day versus those those who don't. So certainly that's an advantage. But I think the the biggest thing for me is actually like being involved and caring about the market that you're that you're covering. You know, when when I first started doing this, like I was a a, a, a hyperactive trader. I mean, I probably traded. I think if I look back at my NFT bank stats, I traded close to ten million dollars in NFTs in 2021, 2022. I was doing this every single day. Um, So I knew what I was, I knew the market I was covering. So like I I wasn't LARPing. And I think that's, you know, one of the, my bigger takeaways. And I think it's, it's, it's folks who you can kind of see through and some of the content creators who don't have the, you know, don't carry as much respect as others. It's those who are kind of talking about the arena, but they're not in the arena. You can kind of present that facade for a while, but eventually I think the holes. That facade will, will show through. So I think actually being in the market and actually caring about it is, is absolutely important. And there, I know there, there's no way I would be able to, to show up and do this every day if, if I didn't, you know, care about it and enjoy it. So that that's helped helped me get to where get through here to a year.
0: Consistency and true passion for for you know wh- whatever type of content you're creating that those are the key ingredients. Sounds like
1: yeah. No, I think it, it really comes down down to that, and then finding a voice. Mm. as well, kind of finding your writing style. I think that's another benefit of consistency is just like fast iteration. Like the, like I look back on that first morning minute newsletter I wrote and it's like, it's embarrassingly short. My first blog article I ever wrote, it was my new year's resolution. I think 2021 was to start writing. Like I'm I'm totally embarrassed by it. Like it, it was, it was like two paragraphs long. It was, you know, woefully short on, on depth of content, but it was probably the most important blog I ever wrote because it was my zero to one moment. And then, you know, so when you just start doing something and then you do it every day, you're able to iterate on it much faster and you get those reps in and it, it really helps it, someone improve their product much faster. And I think we, we saw that in the spaces or our show as well. Like when you do something every week, like we were having like just like an issue with the show, like a logistical issue because like we weren't getting the reps in. And then when you do it every day, like you fine tune that stuff and iron it out within five days. Now you're like, okay, how do we make the content better? And you're, you're able to, to focus on other things. So that, that definitely helps. All
0: right, so let's talk about how the NFT ecosystem has evolved from when you first got involved to, to today. It's a radically different market, but yeah, just like, tell me about that, that, that change. It's been
1: a wild history. So back in you know, 2021, there was so few projects and, and things to invest in that a lot of folks, you know, just kind of the the spray and pray method was the the correct investing method there for for a strong period of time in in 2021 because the winners were going to to outpace the the, the losers there and. You know, we saw that play out in Generative Art and the, the, PS, and the PFP market that, that erupted with Bored Apes and, and crypto punks going wild and then all the, the other collections that came. Um, meanwhile, I think the one-of-one one art market was where I was so much more interested in that time. And it, I kind of had it in my head that the PFP market would be a fad and that it would all come back to art. And then, so like I, I started fairly early on in 2021 selling PFPs for more for generative art and, and for one of ones, and then I quickly learned the lesson that also the a that the generative art was in a bubble, one of ones were kind of in a bubble, but also just how liquid those markets can can become over time. So we saw, you know, we the, the super rare bubble kind of play out. Bubble might be the wrong word, but but you know we, we saw that market sector, you know, really erupt and then come. Calmed down after like December 2021. And the art blocks market peaked what, summer 2021, had, has since, you know, come down to earth. Of, of course, with art still being created on a weekly basis um, and, and that sector still very strong, but just the, from a, a price standpoint, certainly down. And then, you know, we get into 2022 and we see the marketplace wars. Start to pop up, and that's probably the one of the defining trends of 2022. Right, as we had LooksRare come on the scene in January, get everyone flush with cash with their airdrop. They they kind of they came and went without finding like a, a huge product market fit. X2Y2 came on the scene uh, a few months later. They they tried to do the same thing, to a, to a smaller degree, and then Blur coming on, and I, I want to say that was. October, November, 2022, you know, likely has had the, the single biggest impact on the the NFT market, you know, since since they've come in, and how some of the incentives that they they brought in with their their Blur token and their marketplace via the, uh, incentivized bidding and listing, uh, you know, created some, some market forces that that we didn't really expect. And I think there's you know there's two camps. There's the folks who thought that. The market was already it was always overheated, and was going to go this direction. And those who feel like the the blur incentives did have an impact. I'm into the camp that it had an impact, uh, certainly. And I think you know we've seen examples of that with you know collections who have been plugged in and those who haven't, and how their their price arcs have played out over time. So you know that was it's been like the, the driving factor. One of the defining moments, 2023 Mando and OSF selling off their, their whole board, a portfolio back in February. And, and that kind of marked the the top and it's effectively been down only in the PFP market since then. Now, you know, we're, we're starting to, to, to see a rebound. And, you know, as I walk through all that just now, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway is the the financialization of the NFT market, the, the turning NFTs into fungible tokens, and that trend has been a destructive one. You know, I, I think part of the the reason NFTs had their success was, you know, people's ties to the JPEGs. Like, there was a point in time where we're, we we didn't want to sell our JPEGs. We, we were very attached to them. We liked the trace. We had fun going shopping to to find. The PFPs that that matched with our personalities, or finding the art uh, that you actually want to, you know, perhaps display at, at home or, or on your walls, and then you know, with the the onset of blur, with the onset of some derivatives protocols, where you could even go long or short the market, you know, it started kind of chipping away at some of that non We We started seeing them more as line items on a screen, and I think that has certainly had a, had a big impact. And I'm curious, like, how we'll, how we'll come back from that or, or if it is effectively irreversible uh, for many in the, in the PFP market. So I think those are some of the, the broader trends, you know, that I've seen play out. And then I think my other takeaway, I said this on a show in the past week, I think the the defining artists of 2023 for me are Jack Butcher, and Reefic Anadol, uh, and and I can expand on those, but I think those will be two of our you know biggest takeaways, things we'll look back on this year and, and be proud of, and probably kick ourselves for for, for not um, you know spending more time with or investing more with.
0: So looking forward, what are you excited about, and what do you think is kind of done, or like you know, not maybe not. Not totally dead, but just like not going to ever return back to the 2021 era.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what's next. So, I mean, on a a near term time horizon, I'm very excited to see into Blur Season 2. We know it's coming November 20th. You know, what is that going to mean? Return to a more stable state, or are there going to be new incentives, new curveballs thrown at us that are going to kind of continue this this farmer driven market, this, this market where we, where we care more about the the, the fungibleness versus the the non fungibleness, so I think that is, is absolutely something I'm watching here in the near term. I think a, a couple the the trends I'm watching, that I'm excited about the sports NFT market has been pretty exciting, seeing some of these fancy games have some success. You know, so rare is back. We've got DraftKings Rainmakers who has had a very successful season two here so far, and of course that's kind of a market where I've got some history in. As well, so that's been fun to see the social five market. I mean, that's a little bit NFT adjacent, but that, that's another kind of new trend that that I'm watching very closely, and, and I've got some excitement about as well. And then more in the hardcore NFT market, I think I'm I'm, I'm waiting for when the, the the digital art market is going to to rebound and, and what this next run is going to look like. I think it's a matter of when. And not if it's likely going to be tied to the crypto market cycles. When folks are feeling a little bit more crypto rich, they'll they'll start, you know, thinking about their art collections again. But I think we've got a we're stacking a a bigger roster of good artists here on on a monthly basis. So it's going to be really fun to see which of them can kind of take their game to the next level in more of a bull market than this brutal bear one.
0: Okay, I want to do a little game here. I want to do like a little bit of a quasi rapid fire and just kind of get your take as to like. You're bullish or bearish on, on the future of, of that subsector. So let's go with uh, one of one art. Bullish. PFPs. Bearish. Ooh. Okay. Bearish for how long for like going forward?
1: In bearish existing PFP collections. Mostly I'm bullish that they will continue mattering and that everyone will want a PFP. I
0: like it. Gaming assets. Bearish. Why?
1: That, that's my hot take. I think my, my one counter take is I think Web three gaming is the the consensus view of everyone. Think that's like the next hot sector. Maybe this is just my my personal view because like I'm not in I'm not a gamer. It is a very hard market for me to understand how to play from an investment standpoint. And I think it's already become too big to do to try to get broad exposure to. So I think from an individual investor or like as a market participant, it is going to be a tricky market. For most to enter, unless they're going to spend the time and, and play the games and understand the the assets, and I think introducing tokens, play to earn, it's still very different than the traditional gaming models that that have worked. I'm not totally convinced that we're going to see that the widespread success uh, that that some think we will. I like it. Okay,
0: virtual land. Bearish. Why?
1: I think some of the, the metaverses that we're seeing, like the concept of the metaverse. Doesn't necessarily need to be tied to uh, an NFT that you own. So, like for, for instance, uh, Bored Elon, you know, he, he's a big personality on, on X. He is big in the Opepin market. You know, he he just he's been running a weekly show on Fridays. He did his last weekly show in the Metaverse, um, which I thought was awesome. But he didn't do it in Decentraland, like on a plot. Is, I think you can be bullish on Metaverse. Adoption without being bullish on some of the existing virtual land parcels that exist in the market.
0: Makes sense. Okay. Social Fi. Bullish. Tell me why.
1: I think we've, we've seen, I think in general, the crypto market has very much struggled to find apps that people have used. And I think Frentech broke that trend where they, they found an app that people were excited to use. Now we've seen that market go through two cycles already. And for those who are kind of following it closely, it is, it is absolutely in a lull period right now. But you know, there's still $40 million of equity tied up in this thing, and they're in the early stages. And I feel like there, there's something to socialify. I think that the ability for content creators to have more direct control over earning and the ability of others to effectively bet on them. I think there's something to that. I don't know that we've seen that the final best product from it yet. I, I do think there's something to this
0: sector. Do you remember BitCloud?
1: I, I wasn't deep in BitCloud. What was that back in like 2021? Did you play around with it much?
0: I checked it out. I had a lot of my friends that were really into it, and I checked it out and it just it was just like a Ponzi-like system. I was like, until the point people are not making money, like this is gonna be popular. But right when people stop making money, it's not gonna be popular anymore. And I, I wanted to get into front Tech. But it, it reminded me a lot of, it, obviously it's, it's different than BitCloud, but it just reminded me of that. I was like, I feel like this is popular until people stop making money and then people are going to say, oh, I'm not making money, I'm, I'm done. Um, so it's almost like yield farming, but a, a different different method of doing so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an, uh, still a, a somewhat accurate read, a, a very accurate read. And I think that a lot of folks are having less fun on the app right now and the folks who are left are primarily there for, for farming. I think the, the reason FrontDuck has had the success is that, you know, People think that Paradigm is backing it and there is a, an airdrop at the end of this. And mm-hmm. I think it's silly to say otherwise that this app would have had that success without that. So There's something that happened that was true. I think at the same time, you know, people are using the app and, and building connections and networking, and, and that has been valuable for them. I think what was the most exciting for me and now like less exciting was we, there was a period of time back in the, this last cycle, which was happened like early September, mid September, when founders were actually joining Tech, and we had like the, the, the former CEO of Resi, now he runs Blackbird, like Ben Leventhal joined and he was chatting in his room. And then like Matt kalis joined this the founder of DraftKings. He joined and he started chatting in his room. And then you know Peter Jennings, who's the, the CEO of Lucky Trader and, and deep in the sports industry. Um and that's just to name a few. So they were coming in and then for a few hundred dollars you could join the rooms and actually have access to them. And that that was exciting to me. The unfortunate reality is a lot of those founders are not as active in the app now, and I think there's a few reasons for that. You know, one could very well be like the Ponziomics, where there was folks who just came in to, to speculate on the price of their of their keys, and the numbers went up and it was great, and they went back down, and those people just left or don't care, and that kind of left a, a sour uh, taste in, in some of those founders' mouths. But to me, it just shows like there there's something there, there's something to that product, and. I think there are absolutely plenty of founders out there that folks will pay to have access to. Perhaps not five thousand dollars, but maybe two hundred fifty dollars, you know, maybe five hundred dollars. Um, so I, I do think there is there is some market product market fit here. Can Tech fully find it? I, I think the verdict is still out on that, but I am still leaning bullish on the on the sector and someone to figure out how to do it.
0: Where do you think the NFT market evolves from here? And additional question, what will be like the breakout app that makes people like NFTs again?
1: In the in the digital art space, starting there, I, I think we're seeing more of a trend of artists going to into these edition collections. So, you know, like one of a hundred, one of a thousand, or on these generative collections, like one of one of X um, versus the one of ones. And I think that the reason we're seeing that is it's easier to to build community um, and have more folks kind of as active voices, kind of helping you amplify your brand uh, as the as the marketing arms. And I think that is likely going to to change how how the how artists create and produce in in twenty twenty four. And I think certainly this highly illiquid. Basically, I mean, I, I hate calling things dead, but like the one of one market is like on oh no, a short term time scale is like dead. Like they're super rare volume. Like they're just not trading right now. And I think artists will, will find, you know, different forms. So I think that is absolutely a trend we will see. Web3 gaming is coming. I, I said I'm bearish. It, it will absolutely exist. And we're already s- starting to see it start to make its impact on the, the blurboard and, and the market leaders. So I think that will that will be a driving force. It is hard for me to predict who who the winners will be out of that. Um, but there likely will be some. And then I mean, uh, of the existing projects, I think Yuga and the other side, you know, that might be the single most important, you know, development to watch for those who have bags kind of tied to the existing like 2021, 2022 PFP market. Because I think if they can, if they can pull it off of course, it'll be a huge boon for for Apes Mutants. It'll be a huge boon for for Ape Coin, and it very well could be the the onboarding mechanism, you know, for, for for more folks kind of back in back into this. So, I think that is going to be a very important one to to watch in the in the traditional PFP space. All
0: right, So, AI has been like all the rage over the past, you know, year maybe even two. What is your take on AI, both from like a you know, your business standpoint also just like, how does it impact like the NFT market if, if like at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like the, the single biggest development in human history, probably <laughs> and like certainly the most important thing happening right now. And I think my advice to, to anyone and everyone is to just to play around with it and start to familiarize yourself with it. Even if you don't have a specific purpose for, for logging in and, and using it every day. And, you know, I, I'm one who that like goes through thought exercises. I've got a, a three-year-old and a four-year-old at home. I already have no idea what, what their schooling is going to look like in six years. Uh, like, what does eighth grade look like, <laughs> you know, with, with the way AI is expected to to scale in the next six to seven years? What does that mean for high school? What does it mean for college? It's like, honestly, I think it's silly to even try to predict because like the, of, of how things are, are going to change. Um, so I'm very excited by it. On a, on a day-to-day level, um, you know, certainly we have incorporated it into our business at Lucky Trader. So for instance, when I joined Lucky Trader, team was about 20. I think that the writing staff was probably around 10. And now we're down to two. And you know, we, we lean into AI to, to, for, for help in, in content creation. And I think this is probably a little bit more for some of the articles that you'll see on the site. Um, but there, there's so much you can do with kind of creating templates, you know, finding a, a voice that you want, you know, ChatGPT to, to write in, and then feed it source content, and then help you to to get 80 percent there, and then fine tune it from, from there. So I think anyone in the, the the media business or content creation who's not at least trying to look at it is probably doing themselves. A disservice. I use it as well for the for my writing, but I, I the other piece I struggle with is, is maintaining my voice. And, and certainly, I, I want to be very careful not to just spit out. Okay, here's the the Chat GPT version of, of this this story, and, and here's your newsletter for today. So like that that's something that I will never do. I, I always have my my voice overlaid on top. Some days I'm successfully able to plug it in. Some days it's tougher. I think we're it has enabled me to to go wider, it is in markets where I, I have less understanding. So like when I'm writing about big crypto events, which is not my area of expertise, um, you know, leveraging tools to, to help me get an understanding, a baseline foundation of you know what are the core important things here, and then being able to apply it to, to like my worldview. So that is how I've been able to to use it. And I, I, again, I think everyone sh- should try to figure out how to to plug it in. Uh, to to their Ryan style on on a daily basis wh- where they can, but I mean I think that the the sky is the limit from from where this this is going to go. I haven't dabbled as much on the art side. You know, you mentioned how it will impact the NFT market. We're already starting to see it in, in AI art, and I think the primary impact is that supply is going to be infinite. You know, there will be an infinite amount of AI-created or AI-assisted art. So, so trying to figure out where to, to pick, pick, pick your spots from an investment standpoint um, is going to get harder and harder. And I, I think my current view is that value will accrue to the, the the earliest OGs and those who can use the tools the best. But my, my thesis there is continuing to, to evolve over time. But it, it is definitely one of the more exciting aspects of the market.
0: And, you know, Apple announced their XR headset and Meta is doing their their classes, which they, they want to add in AR in the future and, and whatnot. So there's been a lot, of, a lot of movement on the AR and VR front. How do you think that, it, does that impact NFTs at all? Or, or what, is, what is your view on kind of that technological trend?
1: I, I think it will. I think that the more folks are in a digital world tied into to digital assets, I think, the digital world is coming. I think it's a matter another matter of when and not if barring some like catastrophic change. but like on the trajectory we're on right now, we're going to continue to get more and more digital, and I think people will continue to care about assets in, in their digital lives. Um, and as the technology continues to increase, I, I don't think you know I'm bearish on clunky headsets, but as soon as these headsets are are lean. And they're like the glasses that you can pop on. I feel like everyone's going to have them. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be adoption curves, but there's going to be a point where they're too good, they're too enhancing to, to to not use. So I think that will be another ground another groundbreaking shift whenever it gets here, and it will just continue to drive us towards this this more digitally native future. And I think we're seeing it in the younger generation. I've got two nieces who are like 11. Uh, you know, they, they love Roblox. That's all they do is they play Roblox and they care about their outfits like on their avatars and in, in, in Roblox. So they will grow up likely caring about the digital versions of themselves to a degree. Uh, now, does that translate to, to million dollar digital art one-of-one sales? You know, not necessarily, uh, but it, it translates to, to more wide usage. Uh, different aspects of the technology, and perhaps more interest at, at the lower end, uh, right? You know, you know, buying the, the two-dollar digital T-shirt to to put on your your avatar because you, you like the way it looks, which increases the amount of you know fish in, in the pond, and eventually bigger fish will come. Which I do think a larger pool absolutely will translate to to more whales who will want to play on the higher end of the market.
0: Totally, awesome. All right, Tyler, are you ready for the closing questions? Yeah, let's do it. All righty. What are you bearish on? Give me anything, anything at all.
1: I'm bearish on the Chicago Bears. That is a Ooh. fact. Ooh. Plugging it back to, <laughs>
0: uh, you know. Wait, wait sorry. Are you in Chicago?
1: I am. I'm a Chicago guy.
0: Oh, I'm a Chicago guy too. Okay. Okay, cool.
1: So we, we have such high hopes, Andrew, coming into this year. Like I, I was out for the for the first game and it was totally electric. And then by halftime, it was like the the energy Dang. was out of our sales Yeah. already. Yeah. Um, but oh man, it's a tough one. I think, you know, one am I bearish on? Probably bearish the most on, um, yeah, my, my hot bearish take, Web3 gaming sector taking over. I don't think it's gonna be as easy as people think.
0: Oh, love it. All right, what are you bullish on? I, again, anything.
1: What am I bullish on? Well, I've said I'm bullish on Social Fi. That is absolutely an aspect. I'm bullish on digital art. And I think if, as we look back, on th- this 2021-2023 era, I think if, if one good thing comes out of it, it's the beginning of the digital art renaissance. So I, I'm happy to, to have been at least a small part of that. And I think I'll be very proud of that in, in 10 years' time.
0: Love that. All right. Are you an AI doomer or optimist?
1: Optimist. Eternal optimist. I, I'm, the, I'm one who, who thinks that our quality of life is better than it ever has been. And uh, I'm, I'm bullish on the the quality of the next generation's lives as well. So I'm I lean optimist.
0: I Love that. All right, last question: What motivates you?
1: Trying to to build that that better life. Now that you know I've got two two toddlers, so I, it is my responsibility to to help make this this uh, this world a little bit better, uh, to be a, a good influence for for them, uh, and be a, a role model. So that's uh, something that I think about every day and, and try to, try to make them proud. Amazing.
0: Awesome. Tyler D. Thank you so much, man. This has been stellar. People want to find out more about yourself, find out more, more about your newsletter, your show, your Twitter, you know, t- 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 tell people wh- wh- where should they go?
1: Absolutely. Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter or X ex- at Tyler underscore did underscore it. Uh, you can find our content over on Luckytrader.com. You'll be prompted to subscribe to the the newsletter. Uh, if you haven't already, I, I highly recommend that. Just get the get the five-minute read in your inbox every morning. Uh, and then if you want the audio version, go ahead and, and tune in. Find us 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday to Friday uh, over on X. You can find the, the Spaces links on my X page as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Tyler.
1: Andrew, thank you. This has been awesome.